0: Chapter 1 of Ox Team Days on the Oregon Trail This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bologna Times Ox Team Days on the Oregon Trail by Ezra Meeker and Howard R. Driggs. Chapter 1 Part 1 From Ohio to the Coast. North America and 1830. This map shows the main divisions of North America as they were when Ezra Meeker was born. The shading in the Arctic region shows how much there was still for the explorers to discover. The Oregon country is shown as part of the United States, although the whole region was in dispute between the United States and Great Britain. In the United States itself, the settled part of the country was East of the dotted line that runs from Lake Ontario to the Gulf of Mexico. West of this line was the Indian country, with only a few forts as outposts of settlement. Several territories had been organized, but Oregon, Missouri, and Nebraska were little more than names for vast undetermined regions. Chapter 1. Back to Beginnings. I was born in Huntsville, Butler County, Ohio, on December 29, 1830. That was, at this writing, more than 90 years ago. My father's ancestors came from England in 1637. In 1665, they settled near Elizabeth City, New Jersey, building there a very substantial house which stood till almost 1910. More than a score of hardy soldiers from this family fought for the colonies in the war of independence they were noted for their stalwart strength steady habits and patriotic ardor both my parents were sincere though not austere christian people father inherited to the full the sturdy traits of his ancestors i well remember that for three years during our life in indiana he worked eighteen hours a day as a miller for this hard service he received only twenty dollars a month and bran for the cow yet out of the ordeal he came seemingly as strong and healthy as when he entered it my mother's maiden name was phoebe baker english and welsh strains of blood ran in her veins her father settled in butler county ohio in the year 1804 or thereabouts my mother like my father could and did endure continuous long hours of severe labor, without much discomfort. I have known her frequently to patch and mend our clothing until very late at night, and yet she would invariably be up in the morning by four to resume her labors. Small wonder that, with such parents, and with such early surroundings, I am able to say that for fifty-eight years I was never sick in bed a single day. I— Two have endured long hours of labor during my whole life and i can truthfully say that i have always liked to do my work and that i never watched for the sun to go down to relieve me from the burden of labor my mother said i was always the busiest young un she ever saw by which she meant that i was restless from the beginning born so according to the best information obtainable i was born in a log cabin where the fireplace was nearly as wide as the cabin The two doors on opposite sides permitted the horse, dragging the back log, to enter at one and then to go out at the other. Of course, the solid floor of split logs defied injury from such treatment. The skillet and the Dutch oven were used instead of the cook stove to bake the pone, or Johnny Cake, to parch the corn, or to fry the venison, which was then obtainable in the wilds of Ohio. A curtain at the farther end of the cabin marked the confines of a bed-chamber for the old folks. The older children climbed the ladder nailed to the wall to get to the loft, floored with loose clapboards that rattled when trodden upon. The straw beds were so near the roof that the patter of the rain made music to the ear, and the spray of the falling water would often baptize the tow-heads left uncovered our diet was simple and the mush pot was a great factor in our home life a large heavy iron pot was hung on the crane in the chimney corner where the mush would slowly bubble and sputter over or near a bed of oak coals for half the afternoon and such mush always made from yellow corn meal and cooked three hours or more this eaten with plenty of fresh rich milk furnished the supper for the children Tea, not to be thought of. Sugar? It was too expensive. Cost fifteen to eighteen cents a pound, and at a time when it took a week's labor to earn as much money as a day's labor would earn now. Cheap molasses we had sometimes, but not often. Meat not more than once a day, but eggs in abundance. Everything father had to sell was low-priced, while everything mother must buy at the store was high. Wheat brought twenty-five cents a bushel, corn, 15 cents, pork, two and two and a half cents a pound, with bacon sometimes used as fuel by reckless racing steamboat captains of the Ohio and Mississippi. My earliest recollection, curiously enough, is of my schoolboy days, although I had so few. I was certainly not five years old when a drunken, brutal teacher undertook to spank me because I did not speak a word plainly that is the first fight of which i have any recollection i could hardly remember that but for the witnesses one of them my oldest brother who saw the struggle my teeth he said did excellent work and drew blood quite freely what a spectacle a half-drunken teacher maltreating his pupils but then that was the time before a free school system it was the time when even the parson would not hesitate to take a wee drop and when, if the decanter was not on the sideboard, the jug and gourd served as well in the field or in the house. In our neighborhood, to harvest without whiskey in the field was not to be thought of. Nobody ever heard of a log-rolling or barn-raising without whiskey. Be it said to the everlasting honor of my father that he set himself firmly against the practice. He said his grain should rot in the field before he would supply whiskey to his harvest hands. I have only one recollection of ever tasting any alcoholic liquor in my boyhood days. I did, however, learn to smoke when very young. It came about in this way. My mother always smoked, as far back as I can remember. Women smoked in those days, as well as men, and nothing was thought of it. Well, that was before the time of matches, leastwise it was a time when it was necessary to economize in their use. And Mother, who was a corpulent woman, would send me to put a coal in her pipe. I would take a whiff or two, just to get it started, you know, and this soon developed into the habit of lingering to keep it going. But let me be just to myself. More than forty years ago, I threw away my pipe, and have never smoked since, and never will smoke again. My next recollection of school days was after Father had moved to Lockland, Ohio, then ten miles north of Cincinnati. It is now, I presume, a suburb of that city. I played hooky instead of going to school. But one day, while I was under the canal bridge, the noise of passing teams so frightened me that I ran home and betrayed myself. Did my mother whip me? Bless her dear soul, no! WHIPPING OF CHILDREN, BOTH AT HOME AND IN THE schoolroom, WAS THEN ABOUT AS COMMON AS EATING ONE'S BREAKFAST, BUT THE FAMILY GOVERNMENT OF MY PARENTS WAS EXCEPTIONAL FOR THAT TIME, FOR THEY DID NOT THINK IT WAS NECESSARY TO RULE BY THE ROD. BECAUSE MY MIND DID NOT RUN TO SCHOOL WORK, AND BECAUSE MY DISPOSITION WAS RESTLESS, MY MOTHER ALLOWED ME TO WORK AT ODD JOBS FOR PAY, INSTEAD OF COMPELLING ME TO ATTEND SCHOOL. THIS CUT DOWN MY ACTUAL SCHOOL DAYS TO LESS THAN SIX MONTHS it was to say the least a dangerous experiment and one to be undertaken only by a mother who knew her child better than any other person could i do not by any means advise other mothers to adopt such a course in those days apprenticeship was quite common it was not thought to be a disgrace for a boy to be bound out until he was twenty-one especially if he was to be learning a trade father took a notion he would bind me out to a Mr. Arthens, the mill-owner at Lockland, who was childless, and one day he took me with him to talk it over. When asked, finally, how I should like the change, I promptly replied that it would be all right if Mrs. Arthens would do up my sore toes, whereupon there was such an outburst of merriment that I never quite forgot it. We must remember that boys in those days did not wear shoes in summer, and quite often not in winter, either. But mother put an end to the whole matter by saying that the family must not be divided, and it was not. Our pioneer home was full of love and helpfulness. My mother expected each child to work as well as to play. We were trained to take our part at home. The labor was light, to be sure, but it was service, and it brought happiness into our lives. For, after all, that home is happiest, where everyone helps. Our move to Indiana was a very important event in my boyhood days. This move was made during the autumn of 1839, when I was nine years old. I vividly remembered the trip, for I walked every step of the way from Lockland, Ohio, to Attica, Indiana, about two hundred miles. There was no room in the heavily laden wagon for me or for my brother Oliver, aged eleven. It was piled so high with household goods that little space was left even for mother and the two babies, one yet in arms. But we lads did not mind riding on Shanks ponies. The horses walked so briskly that we had to stick to business to keep up with them. We did find time, though to throw a few stones at the frisky squirrels, or to kill a garter snake, or to gather some flowers for mother and the little ones, or to watch the red-headed woodpeckers hammering at the trees. The journey was full of interest for two lively boys. Our appearance was what might well be called primitive, for we went barefooted and wore tow pants and checkered linsey Woolsey shirts, with a strip of cloth for galluses, as suspenders were at that time called little did we think or care about appearance bent as we were on having a good time and that we surely had one dreary stretch of swamp that kept us on the corduroy road behind the jolting wagon i remember well this was near crawfordsville indiana it is now gone the corduroy and the timber as well in their places great barns and comfortable houses dot the landscape as far as the eye can reach One habit that we boys acquired on that trip stuck to us all our lives, until the brother was lost at sea. When we followed behind the wagon, as we did part of the time, each took the name of the horse on his side of the road. I was Tip on the off side, while brother was Top on the near side. Tip and Top, a span of big fat grey horses that would run away at the drop of the hat, were something to be proud of. This habit of Oliver's walking on the near side and my walking on the off continued for years and through many a mile of travel. End of chapter 1